This is the Middle East Report Special Edition. I'm John Riley. Each week, we help you make sense of what's happening in that region through a biblical lens, security threats, archaeological discoveries, biblical prophecy, and much more. I encourage you to read, study, and apply the Word of God in your life, and the best way to do that is to connect with the people, places, and geography of what we read in God's Word. There's an ongoing war in Israel, as you know. We need to continue to pray for that situation there. I want to share with you a message from Amir Sarfati. I think it's so appropriate, especially with everything going on there in the land of Israel. Amir Sarfati is a native Israeli. He is the founder of Behold Israel. Amir is a Jewish believer in Jesus, and he is a worldwide Bible teacher. He also provides real-time updates on what's happening there in the Middle East. And You can join his Telegram channel. In fact, I encourage you to do that. But he shared a message called The Hope of Israel. And this is so appropriate, especially with everything going on there in the land of Israel. I want to encourage you to listen to this message that he shared in California. And it's a powerful message that reminds us of why we need to continue to love and support the Jewish people. Our national anthem is called The Hope. Hatikva in Hebrew. So Hatikva, the name of the Jewish national anthem, it actually says, as long as deep in the heart, the soul of a Jew yearns, and forward to the east, to Zion, an eye looks. Look what he says, our hope will not be lost. The hope of 2,000 years to be a free nation in our land, the land of Zion and Jerusalem. So when... Naftali Herz Imber wrote this national anthem in the late 1800s in a little city in Romania. Little did he know that, uh, you know, 45, 60, uh, 50 years later, this yearning and hope and dream will come true and Israel will become a nation back in their land and that will be our national anthem. And it's interesting because in between the time he wrote these words and the time we became an independent state, we actually did lose our hope. The Bible says that we lost our hope when we were nearly exterminated. When you read Ezekiel 37, the prophet Ezekiel was brought in, his, in the vision, in the spirit to a valley full of dry bones. And Ezekiel, perplexed at what he was looking at, asked the Lord, what is it? It's very depressing. And the Lord said, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. The whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. And we ourselves are cut off. Therefore, God is saying to the nation of Israel, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, all my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, not Palestine. And then he says, and then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your grave. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. And then, first comes the physical restoration, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. And I know that there's a lot of uh, ladies here and you often go to women's conferences and 
One of the most favorite portions in women's conferences I've noticed uh, along the years is the Jeremiah 29 verses, uh, for I know the thoughts that I have for you. You know, it's nice, but you know, it, it, it's, it's wonderful, and it's yes, it's true for all of God's people, but in the context of which these words were written, look at the nation of Israel and the promise of God to them. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed, when they were in diaspora in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you, and I will cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and what? A hope. God wants to give the nation of Israel a future and a hope. That's the heart of the God of Israel. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. And now God is giving a confession. He says, I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which... I cause you to be carried away captive. You know, God is not apologizing here. You were not walking in my ways. I punished you, but I am not there having plans to destroy you, but to give you future and hope. And I'm the one who will bring you back to the place that I have for you from the countries into which I drove you. So interestingly enough, many of you are here, and I don't think that Hebrew is your mother tongue. And so, maybe that is why you don't know that the word hope appears in the Hebrew Bible for the first time in the book of Joshua, and you don't even know about it. Because in the English translation about the affair of the two messengers that Joshua sent to, into Jericho and that were kept by Rahab, if you remember, the Bible says... So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window. Remember, she let them off the window from the walls out of the city, and she used a cord, a scarlet cord, but the Hebrew word, let's move to the Hebrew. I'm sure you can all read that right now. The hope of the scarlet cord. The hope, the scarlet hope, basically. She let them out of the city with a cord that we call in the Hebrew, the hope. It's the hope of the people to go back to the camp and to tell them that there is a way to go in and they will come. It's the hope of Rahab and her family to know that when they come and take the city, as long as that scarlet thread is outside of the window, nobody in that house is going to be killed. There was a hope, and it's amazing because Joshua in chapter 6, 25, and Joshua spared Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all that she had, so she dwells in Israel to this day. Joshua writes about it, not for nothing, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And we know that it was the truth because later on in the gospel we see that Salmon, not salmon, it's not a fish. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. 
and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse, Yeshai, and Jesse, Yeshai begot David the king. And who came after that, along that line? The hope. That hope that became the hope of that woman, that gave her hope to live, and caused her to become part of the lineage, eventually produced the hope of Israel. And the hope of Israel is not just the land itself. Yes, we think, well, before, you know, in the late 1800s, we thought, okay, our hope is to come back to the land. But it's way beyond it. It's related to the Jews returning to the land, but it's much more than that. And 2,000 years ago, an Orthodox Jew who found the way, the truth, and the life, he tried to explain to his own fellow Jews that the Messiah is the hope of Israel. This man was willing to be in chains, tried, and even die for the sake of this hope. This man's name was Saul from Tarsus. We all know him as Paul. And 2,000 years later, unfortunately, I tried to convey the same message, and I've got a problem. I've got a problem because my Messiah was taken and was gentilized, westernized, packed with with, with religious and pagan uh, package, and now serving probably the wills of so many people around the world, but it's so foreign and distant from my own people. And if you ever want to reach out to a Jewish person and to tell him about the hope, the real hope, the only hope that this nation has, start with his name and tell him, tell him that that name, Yeshua, is not foreign to the Jewish Old Testament. It's actually already in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezra. This name, Yeshua, that was the name of the first person chosen to be the high priest for the reconstruction of the temple following the Babylonian captivity. The name Yeshua is not a newly surfaced name by the time we get to the New Testament. They need to understand it's an existing, it's, an old, it's a Jewish name already in their Old Testament. And it's interesting because there is a reason why he was named that way. And the Jew should know about it because it is related to his own language. In Matthew 1.21, you can clearly see in the English, and he will bring forth a son, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. Yes, Jesus, because you follow the Greek, Jesus. But if you really go to the Hebrew, it says Yeshua. Why? Because he, Yoshia, he will save them from their sins. It's the same word, Yeshua, salvation. That is the reason he was named that way. And therefore, in the Hebrew, it says, Tikrashmo Yeshua, kihu Yoshia et amo. You come to a Jewish person. It's nice to tell him, and by the way, I have no problem with you using the name Jesus. It's fine. But when you come to a Jewish person, Remember, if you show him the meaning of the name in the Hebrew, it will be easier for him. And then if you show it to him that it's in the book of Ezra already, it will click much better. And we have a, today a Gentile version of Jesus that Jewish people cannot relate to. The focus of the Bible is on God the Father, not Mary the mother. In the minds of the Jews, when you say the word Christianity or Christian, they see everything that is not in the gospel. 
And the fact that God has a son is not a foreign thing. It's deep in the Old Testament. And you should know it because you need to give them that hope. And in Proverbs chapter 30 verse 4 it says, Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his face? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know? It's all in the Old Testament. Even in Psalm 2. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Nashkuba. It's all there. Now did God give the Jews a New Testament? Oh yes he did. In fact I was shocked to find the word New Testament in the Old Testament. And then I was shocked that I was shocked. <laughs> Jeremiah 31. Behold the days are coming says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant, a new testament with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And the one new thing in this testament is not the nullification of, of the, the uh, promise to Abraham that he will make us a great nation and through us he will bless the whole world. What God made new is that the end of the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant that he's now giving. And he's explaining that. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Way after Abraham. We're talking about the Exodus. We're talking about Moses. We're talking about Mount Sinai. And then he says, my covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. It's a spiritual regeneration. It's a birth from above. It's a new birth. It's something that is of the spirit. This is, this is the first time we understand what to be born again is all about. Right there in this scripture. Now, I, I used to guide a lot of tours in Israel. And at, at some point along the Via Dolorosa, tourists will come to me and say, So I'm a little bit confused. Was Jesus Catholic or Orthodox? <laughs> and I always said, I'll confuse you even more. He was a Jew. <laughs> was Jesus a Christian? No. He cannot be a Christian. He is the Christ. He cannot be the follower of Christ. He is the Christ. <laughs> Jesus is not a Christian. I know it's a shocker. And by the way, Jesus never ever quoted the New Testament even once in the entire gospel. Paul never used the New Testament to preach. I'm not trying to put down any. I'm just trying to tell you. Going to church today with only the New Testament and the Psalms is half the Bible. And I hope you paid half the price for it. Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He was a Jew of the tribe of Judah to redeem those who were under the law that we, say we, we. that we might receive the adoption as sons. We're all adopted. You understand that in the rabbinical writings, adoption is even stronger than being born of your own mother and father? To adopt someone is to choose someone as he is and to say, I want him. That's the adoption that we all have. 
And Jesus was born as a Jew. And Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. We know it because that's his name, the Lord our righteousness. Same words we hear later on in Revelation. Matthew 1.16, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah, the Christ. And yes, even the virgin birth is a Jewish concept from the Old Testament. You can give it to them. You can tell them in Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It's not just a baby and shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. God is with us. This is, these are the words of Isaiah the prophet. Nobody can accuse him from being a Christian. Matthew 1. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah saying, Behold, the virgin shall be, shall be with a child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And where was he born? In Utah? No, he was born in Israel. Micah 5.2 But you, Beit Lechem, house of bread, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel who's going forth are from old, from everlasting. The Messiah of Israel, who came to save Israel, was born in Israel to a virgin in Bethlehem. And it's all, and I haven't even started quoting the New Testament yet. And he's not just someone who was born in Israel. He's the glory of the people of Israel. Simeon, who held the baby, said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Yeshua, your salvation. My eyes have seen Yeshua. He's not only talking about the salvation, but he's literally pronouncing his name. And then he said, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And he came to the Jewish people and Matthew says, He shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. But he answered and said later on, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, he said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim in Samaria, nor in Jerusalem, and Mount, uh, the Temple Mount, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus is recognizing that. He came of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. And it's not even hidden in throughout the gospel. He worked and preached in Israel. I never heard of his uh, cruise to uh, Greece or Turkey. 
It was all in Israel. In Isaiah chapter 9, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon he who is distressed. And when the first he lightly esteemed, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and after Mormon heavily oppressed her, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentile, the people walking darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of shadow of death, upon them light has dawned. And we see that fulfillment in Matthew 4, verses 12 to 16. And he loved, and he cared, and he reached out to the Jewish people. John 1 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him and I don't find until today the verse where it says so he gave up on his own the Jewish authors wrote of his sufferings in Psalm 22 the entire psalm is about the suffering of the Messiah it's in the book of Psalms that is being chanted and read every day by Orthodox Jews all around the world Isaiah 53, the chapter that led me to the Lord, truly he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. His chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the Hebrew Bible. I read that. I almost had a heart attack. And I, can't, I remember I, I saw the Jesus film of Campus Crusade in a regular movie theater in Jerusalem. Man, I accepted Christ right there, came back home and told everyone, you're all sinners. <laughs> he fulfilled the law so we will not be under the law anymore. Matthew 5, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For as surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one title will not, by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is our peace. He is our rest. He is our hope. And we thankful for it. Romans 8, for what the law could not do in that it was weak uh, through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. In Romans 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul is writing to a church he's never been to yet in Rome. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He also fulfilled the spring feast and at his first coming. And we know that. You have to understand regarding the festivals, it's all about Christ. It was all foreshadowing Christ. Colossians 2 says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Take a look at this table. All the feasts of the Lord from Leviticus 23, seven festivals. The first four are the spring festivals. That's the shadow and that's the substance. He, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, and the coming of the Holy Spirit were all fulfilled in the, um, uh, in the chronological order, all within those 50 days. It was all fulfilled. And when Jesus will come back physically on Mount of Olives, 
Only when the Jewish people will ask and say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, they will be blowing the trumpet. That will be the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpet that will be followed by the Jewish people's repentance of the Day of Atonement and their entrance into the Millennial Kingdom as His people in the Feast of Tabernacles. The first four were fulfilled in its first coming. The second part will be fulfilled in its second coming. And it's all about Him. And it's Jesus. And it's Israel. And it's amazing. And it's beautiful. And they need to know that because it's all about their hope of their salvation. You have to understand, Israel today may be very you know, advanced in technology, in military, in the economy, everything is it's amazing. But tradition, religion, government, military, wisdom and power are not going to save Israel. The tribulation according to Jeremiah and Daniel will be disastrous. However, in their distress, once they call upon the Lord and welcome Him back, He will return, rescue them and be their king. And we see that in Zechariah 14. And in that day, his feet shall stand on Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will split. And that will be an amazing thing. He will save Israel upon his return. Isaiah 59 speaks about it. But even Hosea, look, Hosea in chapter 5 verse 15 gives us an amazing prophetic words about the Messiah. He says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense. And then they will seek my face. And in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Jesus is the hope of Israel. And that is exactly what Paul tried to say. Paul, in the last days of his life, was in Rome in a house arrest, shackled in, his, in legs and also uh, uh, he has coughs, handcuffs on his hands. And he, he said this, It came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jewish two people together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they examined me wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke, by the way, every time Paul says Jews, he speaks of the leadership. He speaks because he's talking to the people as brothers. And then he says, the Jews spoke against it. I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which I, to accuse my nation. Paul says, I have nothing to accuse my nation. I was as blind as they are. I know exactly that blindness. Only a miracle can happen and take that veil up and the scale will fall down. And then he says, for this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you. Because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And he's not only the hope of Israel, he's the hope of the whole world. He's your hope. He's your only hope. Father, we thank you for this amazing hope that we have. For these wonderful promises that we have. We thank you that the Messiah, Yeshua, is the only hope of Israel. And we ask, Father, that all the people that are here today and those that are watching online will have this amazing burden to share the good news with the Jewish people, to give them their hope through their Messiah, not to be ashamed of the gospel of the Messiah, to understand that it is the power of salvation to the Jew first, and to give them the true Messiah 
who was promised to Israel, who was born in Israel, who came to save Israel, who will return to Israel, who will reign from Israel, and who is the king of Israel. We thank you for him. We thank you for his promises. We thank you for your love and kindness. We thank you that you're not done with your people. And yet, they're still there. An amazing, amazing display of your sovereignty. That's Amir Sarfati, the founder of Behold Israel. You can download the message you just heard when you go to beholdisrael.org. Beholdisrael.org. There's a lot of other great stuff on that website. I also want to remind you, as the war in Israel continues to join his Telegram channel, he will keep you posted in real time as to what's going on in Israel. So you can pray and be informed I want to encourage you to get the right link for his Telegram channel when you go to beholdisrael.org. That's the Middle East Report Special Edition. I'm John Riley. You can download a podcast of the show wherever you get your podcasts and on AFR.net. Thanks for listening.